Welcome back to the Tim Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is John Tierney. He's a City Journal contributing editor. He writes about science, economics, politics, culture, and he spent more than two decades as a reporter and columnist for the New York Times. His work has appeared also in The Atlantic, Esquire, uh, The Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and many other publications. He's the author of several books, including the co-authored The Power of Bad, How the Negativity Effect Rules Us and How We Can Rule It. Uh, Today, though, we're going to discuss his recent essays on the impact of the government's response to COVID, something he's been covering extensively for City Journal. So, John, welcome. Thanks, Brian. Uh, You know, states' responses to COVID varied uh, widely. So some imposed restrictions on residents for varying periods of time, sometimes weeks. Others limited residents' social, medical, and economic activities for more than a year. Uh, These policies, these lockdown policies, were historically unprecedented. And two recent studies show that their consequences were, in fact, very far-reaching and disastrous, as you have detailed in a recent essay for City Journal. So I wonder if you could just give us a sketch of what those reports found, both how they approached, um, you know, this methodologically, and and what what the results were, and what you know, according to these studies, what damage did the lockdowns cause, uh, and did they do anything to constrain the spread of COVID? Sure. Um, um, I've been writing about the lockdowns, and there's been a lot of evidence um, over the last couple of years that they were not working and, and that they were causing a lot of damage. But these two new reports are, are interesting because they're so exhaustive. They're really um, one of them uh, was done by a team of American and uh, uh, from Sweden, uh, from Johns Hopkins, and uh, and a Danish researcher, and they sifted through nearly twenty thousand studies of you know they're comparing lockdowns and, and COVID you know rates and, and mortality rates. And they picked out the best studies, the the one, the most rigorous ones, and um, and this was comparing you know rates in you know states versus states, countries versus countries, and they concluded that the lockdown in the United States and Europe during the spring of 2020 that it reduced COVID mortality by just 3.2 percent, and that translates to 4,000 avoided deaths in the United States, which is really negligible when you consider that you know the, uh, the ordinary flu kills 40,000 Americans every year. We don't lock down to prevent that. Um, so, so, and even that, you know, 3.2 percent reduction, you know, that may well be an overestimate uh, to judge from the other study. Um, and that was published by the Paragon Health Institute by a team of, uh, of economists, all of whom were, uh, were former um, economic advisors to the White House. It was a very good team of, of people, um, including uh, Casey Mulligan for the University of Chicago and um, Joel Zinberg and others. Um, and, they did, and, and they really did a very comprehensive look at, um, at the states in the United States, all 50 states and the District of Columbia. And what they did that, you know, the, uh, that's also noteworthy is that they, uh, they adjusted for each state's population, the age structure of that population, which is something, I mean, that's the first thing you should do in comparing COVID rates. One of the unfair things during the epidemic is people were just comparing 
you know, Florida with a much younger state and, and trying to draw a conclusion that way. So you have to adjust for the age. But they went even further than that, and they adjusted also for the rates of obesity and diabetes. Both, you know, both factors uh, greatly increased the risk of COVID. So then they did that, and then they compared the mortality rates in, in, you know, in the states um, against the stringency of the lockdown measures in each state. And, and there was a, a widely used index uh, from Oxford University called, you know, called the Oxford Index that ranked countries and states according to you know, various criteria, you know, business and school closures, stay-at-home requirements, mandates for masks, and other restrictions. And, and the grand conclusion was there was no statistically significant uh, correlation between the stringency of, of, of a government's reaction to COVID and the, and the mortality rates. You know, the, you know, one example that I, that I give in the City Journal piece is, you know, the California and Florida share roughly the same in, in their COVID mortality rates about the national average. Um, um, even though, you know, Florida was one of the first to reopen and California had the longest lockdown in the country and one of the most severe. Um, New York State I'm actually ranked first in the stringency of its lockdown measures, a very dubious honor. And... And it actually did worse than average, and it fared about the same as as South Dakota, which never locked down, you know, and, and ranked you know last in the stringency of its lockdown measures. How were these uh, these uh, studies received? Was there uh, you know any kind of rethinking that that went forward? Were they covered at all? You know, practically not. You know, they got no attention. I mean, virtually no attention as usual. And this has just been the pattern through the you know through the pandemic where really bad small studies that came out early and throughout the pandemic, you know, purporting to show that lockdowns worked or that mass mandates worked or that, um, you know, these would get lots of attention from the mainstream press, um, you know, but then, you know, the, the, the rigorous big studies that actually, you know, tried to control for factors and actually look comprehensively, not just cherry picking two states or cherry picking one four month period, you know, those studies, you know, have basically been ignored. And those studies have been, you know, consistent. I mean, these are the two most comprehensive that I've seen, but there have been lots of others. And, you know, and, and the basic rule is, is that the good studies show little to no effect of lockdowns. And yet, unfortunately, they've just been ignored. Uh, you know, nobody, you know, wants to admit that they were wrong. The press just, I mean, you know, Florida is a great example where you know, when Florida had a surge during the summer, which is when uh, uh, the pandemic was worst in the South because people are indoors, there was all this attention on, oh, Florida has a high rate. Then the rest of the year, you know, when Florida has a low rate, you know, when the, when the, when the pandemic is surging in the North, it's simply ignored. Same, same story with Sweden. You know, they got, you know, massacred by the media early in the pandemic uh, because they had a high rate and then it just ignored the rest of the pandemic because Sweden actually ended up with one of the lowest rates of excess mortality in the world by not locking down. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned mask mandates. Uh, mask mandates were also very controversial. Um, both the federal and state governments imposed masking requirements, uh, and the durations of those mandates varied by jurisdiction pretty, pretty dramatically. A review released earlier this year by Cochrane the world's largest organization for evaluating health interventions found that 
I believe neither surgical nor N95 masks made a, a significant difference in reducing the spread of COVID and other respiratory illnesses. Uh, I, I believe I'm getting that right. Absolutely. No, that's right. And Cochrane is the gold standard for um, doing these uh, large-scale evaluations where they go through all the um, all the random uh, um, all the clinical trials. They evaluate them. They have very strict standards for what counts and what doesn't. And they've always been called the gold standard. So it was a real blow to the you know the maskaholics to get this finding. And it was it was a little harder to ignore Cochrane because it, it you know it's it's got such a reputation. But even then, there were people trying to you know attack the author, or claim well. Just because they couldn't find any evidence that masks work doesn't mean that the mask didn't work, um, which is a very strange way. I mean, imagine you know trying to get a drug approved or a medical treatment, and saying, "Well, we have no evidence that it works, but it might work," and you know, so why not do it? Economists have long argued that uh, executive intervention is more often than not kind of harmful in the aftermath of natural disasters. Uh, because it it hinders the way people might voluntarily respond to a disaster. I, I wonder if that um, is significant in this context. Uh, what you know, what what's behind that phenomenon, and uh, maybe what we might want to do to constrain government overreach in future emergencies. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and I have to say I kind of heard about this, but uh, but I only recently just came across the literature on it, you know, for this piece in City Journal, um, and it's really interesting. You know, there are a couple of economists from uh, a European economist who have uh, done really exhaustive studies looking at natural disasters around the world, and they control for all kinds of factors, and they look at, at whether the executive branch of the government uses the emergency to 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 give itself sweeping powers um and what they find it seems i mean it, it sounds odd when you um probably to most people but but the more powers that the government seizes the more people die in the natural disaster now that was the pattern established long before COVID, and and they've also the, these economists have also looked at COVID, and they consider it just you know the worst example yet of this um because it's clear that you know when the government you know um, seizes all these powers, when it upends people's lives, it interferes with the natural efforts and you know the normal private efforts that people make to deal with a disaster. You know when a disaster strikes, people help their neighbors. They uh, they want to do it when the government suspends everything, when it suspends property rights, when it commandeers resources. Um, it just tends to interfere with the functioning. And the other big problem, as these economists have pointed, is that when they seize these powers, they use them often for a lot of purposes that have nothing to do with the emergency. And we certainly saw that with COVID. We saw all this spending on, you know, giving uh, to special interest groups, um, um, all these privileges that were given that, that, um, that had, you know, really bad effects afterwards. We had this hangover of inflation, supplies chain, um, and... I mean, you can see how the lockdowns just interfere with daily life. You know, you know. I mean, one thing was that um, there were worries about staffing shortages at hospitals. You know, during the peak of the uh, of the COVID surge in place. Well, one reason for that was the lockdowns that they, you know, nurses and doctors had to stay home taking care of their kids. Um, and this was something before the pandemic. You know, experts, you know, at the, for the CDC and other national health agencies. You know, the pandemic plans of the of the U.S. and other countries. 
um, recommended against lockdowns precisely because these um, uh, there was no evidence they would do any good and lots of evidence that they would disrupt things and cause more damage. And um, and unfortunately, you know, those those plans were just thrown away um, in, in the panic uh, early in the pandemic when, you know, China claimed lockdowns work. So everyone said, well, well, we all have to do that. And there were these kind of ridiculous computer models, you know, estimating the lockdowns would uh, uh, prevent 80 percent of the deaths and two million people were going to die the first summer in the United States. And these were absurd. But, you know, everyone panicked and did it. And instead of of heeding the lessons from past pandemics and other natural disasters, we we basically just, uh, the government just seized unprecedented powers. And the result was just unprecedented damage, especially to, you know, the younger people, the, the kids who miss school, um, all the young adults, you know, um, whose lives were upended, who were at very, you know, low risk of COVID. And yet they, you know, so we had, you know, rates of obesity, um, alcohol, fatal drug overdoses, um, depression, um, um, all sorts of, of other deaths. I mean, one notable thing was that, you know, Sweden, for instance, which didn't lock down, it did not have any excess mortality among young people during the pandemic. The United States did. You know, we had, I think, 100,000 people more than normal died of non-COVID causes. Um, and, and many of those deaths are presumably related to the lockdowns. Uh, but as you say, you know, unfortunately, instead of learning the lessons, you know, that we shouldn't, you know, drastically expand government's powers during an emergency, um, instead of learning the lesson from COVID, what's going on now is uh, the, uh, the people responsible for this uh, um, man-made caused disaster are refusing to take responsibility, and they're actually seeking more power, you know, to do even more damage the next time. You know, the CDC has promised to be even more aggressive in the next pandemic and is drawing up plans for that. And the World Health Organization has, has is drawing up this new global pandemic treaty that would, that if nations sign it, it would give the WHO legal authority to force um, countries to, you know, follow these policies that are so disastrous. It's, it's really... Uh, kind of an extraordinary um, phenomenon. So, you you know, you mentioned the World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Food and Drug Administration, all of them repeatedly cited what turns out to be shoddy evidence to assert the efficacy of some of these interventions, whether it's, you know, lockdowns, masks, uh, even as we're discovering, um, you know, some of the information about uh, vaccine safety was... was um, suppressed about the origins of, of COVID, all of this. So evidence now abounds that they were misleading the public deliberately based on some of these recent revelations. You know, what, and, and as a result of this, I, I think there's a lot less trust for public health agencies now on the part of the public. So I wonder, you know, what explains this, uh, this willingness to twist or distort information or, or, you know, keep information from the public on the one hand, and what can these agencies do to regain public trust in the future? Oh, I did an earlier piece for City Journal, The Left's War on Science, and in another, you know, piece on the corruption of public health. And there's really been this long-term trend before COVID where the left uses the science to justify, you know, increasing the government scope and increasing regulation, increasing power. And 
and this has been going on in lots of other areas where you know, topics become it becomes taboo to criticize. You know, like it's you know we we had the you couldn't talk about IQ, you couldn't talk about race, you couldn't talk about um, all these things. And and the left's been doing this for a long time. It's just been getting worse. And the public health establishment has always been one of the most left leaning. I mean, it's really become devoted to to expanding the government's power is really it's become its chief goal actually um and so it's really been captured by progressives so uh, i mean i'd written about all this before covid for city journal but i have to say i was still stunned you know at how they could you know seize this much power do this much damage and remain you know twist the science so badly and remain um you know no apologies for it you, led us to um, even more next time. Um, you know, and as far as what can be done, you know, I also did uh, a, a piece for City Journal on Won't Get Fooled Again, trying to think, you know, how do you stop this from happening? And I mean, ordinarily, you know, after something, after a disaster like this, and I mean a man-made disaster here by, you know, by the public health establishment, the normal impulse is to have a blue ribbon commission investigate and come up with you know, recommendations, but it's hard to imagine who you'd put on it that would, you know, because the whole establishment uh, was in on this. I mean, there were some prominent dissenters, but it became so politicized and, uh, you know, the Democratic Party was so committed to this line. It's hard to imagine, you know, Congress or the federal government actually doing a fair inquiry. You know, Denmark recently did a big, or no, I think it was, Denmark has done it and also Scotland. They've had investigations that have been really critical of the lockdown. But the U.S. establishment was, you know, was leading the worldwide charge for lockdowns. And it's hard to see how you could do a commission to do it. I mean, the one conclusion I had in that piece for City Journal was, in some ways, the best hope is... Um, in the next election, if Ron DeSantis can make that an issue, at least force this, because right now the mainstream media just wants to, you know, wants to forget it. And, you know, you've had a few half-hearted apologies. Well, we just didn't know any better or let's not, you know, let's not look back. Let's just forget about all that. And we can't because uh, they'll do even more damage with the next pandemic and they'll do it, uh, you know, and, and of course, climate change is the area where, you know, the science, you know, in quotes, is being used to justify all kinds of unprecedented restrictions on freedom and on the economy. So I do hope that, that DeSantis and others can make this an issue in the campaign, at least force a discussion of it. And, and, and there needs to be just serious, serious reform. I mean, a lot of people should um, lose their jobs at the CDC. Of course, it's almost impossible to fire you know, public um, federal bureaucrats. But I mean, people ought to suffer consequences. I mean, the journals that you know, that censored, you know, in, in the social media platforms that censored, um, you know, prominent scientists who dared to question the orthodoxy. I mean, people ought to, you know, ought to suffer consequences for that. But it's, it's, it's hard to imagine how that happens now that the progressives so completely dominate these institutions. Well, thank you, John. That's a great overview of where we are on all of these uh, issues. Don't forget to check out John Tierney's work on the City Journal website. That's at www.city-journal.org. You can follow him on Twitter at John Tierney NYC. And we'll link to his author page in the description where you can find all of the pieces uh, we've been discussing today. You can also find City Journal on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore MI. 
As always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. John Tierney, thanks. Uh, Always great to have you on 10 Block. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.